If you'll grab your copy of Scripture and open to Romans chapter 7, we are going to uh, embark on a bit of a new journey on Sunday nights for uh, maybe the next uh, four or five weeks. What I'd like to do is I'd like to talk um, for the next several weeks, uh, talk you through some practical implications of sanctification. In other words, I guess the simple way to say what we're going to be talking about is change or growth, um, but Really, I want to address the issue that so often comes about with this issue of growth or change. You know, uh, so many times people will say to me, you know, Pastor, I, I want to grow, I want to change, but I don't know how. And, and I, I believe that, that it's a common problem. There's a lot of misconceptions about the Christian life. And uh, so I've, uh, I, I was really, all this started a few months ago as... Just a very dear friend of mine uh, is going through uh, just this amazing change in their life and uh, been a believer for quite some time and really just longs uh, to uh, just experience God afresh and anew. And as I begin to, you know, have discussions and talk through this, I found myself um, just sitting in my office and, and writing down these different building blocks and putting together these pieces. And um, through the, the course of that, um, I talked a little bit about it on a Wednesday night a few uh, weeks ago, and it really just began to grow in my heart. And so I just hope it's a real blessing for you. I believe that um, these weeks could be very, very valuable for you, not only personally, but as you, um, many, many of you in here on Sunday nights are, are so much a part of helping other people. So um, we're going to just talk about how, how do you, you know, we're all called to change, to, 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 to be alive in Christ is to change, is to grow. But, you know, we all grow at different rates. We, uh, some people grow a lot faster than other people. Why? Why is that? Well, I believe that uh, over the course of these weeks, I will identify some of the reasons why people don't grow and are not engaged in the process of sanctification as they should be and uh, give you some real practical wisdom on how you can uh, make some changes in your life. So uh, if you're open to Romans 7, let's begin with a word of prayer and then we'll dive in. Father, we thank you for your word. And now, God, as we turn our hearts to it, we're grateful that we have been able to sing and worship you in spirit and in truth, God. Now, as we uh, look to your perfect, inspired, holy word, Lord, we know that it is written by you and that it was intended for us as your people. And so we pray that we would receive it tonight as intended, Lord, as a gift from a good and gracious God. We love you and we're grateful for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So really, uh, what I've done is I, I just identified where do you begin if you want to grow, let's just say you're here tonight and you say, Pastor, I want to grow in my relationship with the Lord. I want to grow in Christ. I want to, I want to become the person that God created me to be. No matter how long you've been in the journey, maybe you're brand new at this. Um, you know, in my prayer time lately, I've just been thanking God for, I just imagine I'm a very visual prayer. That's how, uh, if, if you struggle with your prayer time, if you find yourself five minutes into prayer, just your mind's going a million miles off in different directions and you get frustrated, then try to pray visually. What I do is I pray when I want to pray for you. I, I just imagine that I'm 
just soaring over these pews and I know where people sit and I just go over and I'm looking at your faces and I'm praying for you that way. When I'm praying about uh, new believers, here's what I do. I'm letting you in on how crazy my brain is. I will pray for new believers and I will imagine them sitting down and taking the cellophane off their brand new Bible. That's just... And let me tell you, that never gets old. That just doesn't get old. And you just, you know, if you pray visually, you find yourself, you can just get lost in the glory of praying, you know. But if if you're, you know, get distracted by things, well, then you just need to change the way you do it. God gave you a mind and imagination, a wonderful capacity. So I think we ought to utilize it. And so no matter where you are on, on the process, here's the first thing that we need to really get a handle on if we're going to grow in the Lord, if we're, going to, if we're going to experience change in our life, and that is our identity. You're not going to move forward in the Lord apart from a proper identity of who you are and who God is. If you get stuck here, so many people get born again and get gridlocked right here in their spiritual growth with this issue of identity. Now, let me explain to you how this works. First of all, the way to grow is to continually remind yourself of the gospel every single day. You see, the gospel is the key to sanctification because the gospel will keep you humble. The gospel will will keep pride out of your life. When you understand the gospel, when the gospel is set correctly in your mind and you're constantly reminding yourself of the gospel daily, amazing things will happen. But in order to do that, you've, number one, got to know what the gospel is. And number two, you've got to remind yourself of that. Now, there's an amazing passage of Scripture in Second Peter 1 where the Bible says, but also for this very reason, Peter says, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. What a phenomenal list of attributes. For if these things are yours and abound, then you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how is this amazing uh, list of attributes and this power and knowledge going to come about in our lives? For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even unto blindness, the Bible says. He has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. That just gives you an indication of the preeminence that the Bible takes in reminding ourselves daily about the gospel. When we forget the gospel, when we forget that we've been cleansed of our sins, we are, we've taken the first step towards real trouble in our lives. So daily we remind ourselves of the gospel. Now, by doing so, when we understand the gospel, what's going to happen is we're going to begin to embrace the truth about ourselves which nowhere in the Bible is it more beautifully laid out than in Romans 7 and 8. Paul absolutely gives us the most glorious, systematic rundown. It, this, th- these texts almost preach themselves. I can almost just read Romans 7 and then just sit down and we can have an altar call because it is just the exact, the exact thing that we need to understand to figure out what the gospel is and what our identity in the gospel is. First truth, all genuine believers struggle with the flesh. 
Now this is important. And at the end of each of these, I'll give you the misconception and then the way that that will stop you from growing if you believe it. This seems like a no-brainer, but unfortunately for so many people, it is not the case. Paul says in Romans 7, let's begin in verse 15. He says, For what I am doing I do not understand, and for what I will, what I will to do I do not practice, but what I hate is that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, then I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now I have dealt with these passages before with you. And uh, so I don't want to belabor this, but I do want to just draw your attention once again to the fact that Paul here is not making excuses for his sin. He's simply identifying the struggle that he's engaged in in the flesh. He goes on in verse 18 and says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to, uh, for to will is present with me, but now to perform what is good I do not find. Verse 19, For the good that I will to do I do not, but the evil I will not to do I practice. So the Apostle Paul gives us this illustration that in Christ we're all going to struggle. Now you say to yourself, well, okay, tell me something I don't know. Well, I want you to think about something. That apart from embracing this, do you know what we're going to do? We're going to hide our sin. We're going to pretend that we don't sin. Now, the way to really see how prevalent these problems are in the body of Christ is just to imagine how proficient we are at coming to church and acting like we have it all together. How many times have you or have you heard someone in the church after things have gotten so dreadfully bad and then you say something like, well, why, why, have you, why didn't you tell us sooner? How long has this been going on? To which they reply, I was too ashamed. I was too embarrassed. You mean you've been in church every single Sunday? You've been in Sunday school? You've been in small group? You've been in prayer request time? You've been in Wednesday night? Nothing. Yeah. I wonder how many people were here this morning who were absolutely dying inside from secret sin and said nothing. And you know what happens? You see, when we hide our sin, when we pretend that we... See, the Apostle Paul... I mean, think, think about this. As, this. as the Holy Spirit is inspiring the Apostle Paul to write this, I mean, I'm just wondering. I know Paul was far more godly than I'll ever be. But if it were me, as the pen were moving, as the words were coming out of my mouth, and the, the scribe was taking it down, I would almost cringe. Like, I don't really want to tell people that so we pretend that we're okay we pretend that we we're we're not we're not struggling in the flesh and that and so we hide our struggles and it's like a noose around our neck strangling our growth if you tonight are hiding the fact that you are struggling i can guarantee you you will not grow you will stay exactly where you are and you will not move one 
inch. Not an inch. Because the Bible says that God knows the prideful from afar. In other words, the the pride that says, I am not struggling. The pride that says, I am okay, that I've got this, that that my life is, 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 you know, that I've reached some, I've attained some. And this is subtle. We don't, we would never say that we've attained some, some level of spirituality where we don't struggle anymore. But listen, if your actions, if you, if you present that you are in some way just beyond struggling in the flesh, you are repelling God from your life and you will absolutely strangle the process of sanctification in your life. So truth number one to understand our identity is we struggle in the flesh. All of us. Every single one of us struggles in the flesh. Number two, they get better. I'm just encouraging you tonight. You're not bad, you're worse. You're worse. When Paul gets to the end of this discourse in Romans chapter 7, because 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, and 23 is just all about him struggling. And then he gets to 24 and he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, I'm, I'm sure that I've said this before, because if I've ever gotten to this passage of Scripture in front of you, I've said this. There are so many people who try so hard to make this passage of Scripture about Paul speaking about his life pre-conversion. I mean, I have heard hermeneutical acrobatics like you cannot believe people trying to present the case that this is Paul pre-conversion. And that he is talking about all the struggles he had before God saved him. And then he became a Christian afterwards in verse 25 where he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is absurd. It is absolutely absurd. And here's why. Because no man apart from Christ would care this much about failing before God or about failing in the, in the face of the law. I mean, you wouldn't care. You see, no one would ever say this who wasn't saved. Because all of us can remember a time we were apart from Christ. And here's what we didn't do. We didn't walk around wringing our wrists and chewing our fingernails because, oh, God's not pleased with me. And I, and I lied yesterday and I, I took a pencil home from work that wasn't mine. And I drove five miles over the speed limit. I mean, you don't care. In fact... I mean, what, what is our testimony? Our testimony is m- many of us in here that we were drunks and scoundrels and everything under the sun and then God saved us and everything changed. But prior to conversion, all we cared about was ourselves. You've never met a lost person who would say what Paul says in Romans 7. It never. Because apart from God, it's not going to happen. And so this is just, this is Paul's way of saying, listen, I'm not just, I don't just struggle. I'm worse than that. I am a wretched man. I'm wretched. You see, our identity, if we don't get this, you see, if, if we think we're just kind of bad, if we struggle a little bit, if we're not really bad, then we're going to get into all sorts of problems. Now, people respond to this in different ways. Some people just 
get stuck in this uh, scenario I call Eeyore Christianity. Eeyore Christianity is, well, I'm just a bum. There's nothing I can do that's ever going to amount to anything. What do you think, Winnie? And, so, and there's people like that. They're defined by their failure. They've, they've struggled and they failed in some way. And so they, somehow they feel that they're godly because they sulk in their failure. And so they just walk around defeated in failure all the time. And they, they literally want this reverse attention. They want people to, to pay attention to them because they fail so much or because they've got such affliction and such problems. And so their identity is based on their failure. Well, the problem with that is, is that godliness, when, when you're a believer and you realize how bad you are and how much we all struggle and you, all the pretense is gone, and then you realize not only are you bad and you struggle, but you're worse than that, it results in conviction. And conviction, according to the Bible, is like a schoolmaster that drives us to Christ. So you see, the, if you... If you just are known by your struggle, if you just get attention because of your failure, you're negating the God-ordained process of conviction in your life. And so you feel bad about your sin, but you just keep feeling bad, feeling bad, feeling bad. And what is it? It's idolatry. You see, your sin becomes an idol. You, you, what, what is all your... You, if you know somebody like this, they're consumed with who? Themselves. And when you become consumed with yourself, you just, you just flip the switch of sanctification. You just turn off. You unplug the power from God. God's not interested when you're consumed with yourself. It's idolatry. Just read the Bible. Read anywhere in the Bible what God has to say about idolatry. And you'll see. And that's what it is. But somehow we, we miss this. We want to grow. But we're just so bad. You know, this is the problem with the person who, who would say that, you know, they, they, would, they come to church and they're, they're lost and, and you, or you're sharing the gospel with them at work and they would say, you know, I'm sure that it was good for you. I'm sure God saved you, but, but you, you don't know what I've done. Now, in their mind... They're rationalizing somehow that they're such a, they're such a bad sinner. They're, their life has been so horrific that, that there's no way God could save them. But you know something? When that mentality comes into the church, that is unbelievably arrogant. To think that we, we would be such... That, that we have the capacity to sin at such a level that it would, it would, it would make God have to stand back and go, Wow. I mean, whoo. You know, I mean, I sent Jesus for all those wicked people, but you, I might have to send them again for you. You see how prideful that is? And so we have to be careful about understanding how bad we really are. How, do, what is, how, do, how are we supposed to respond to that? You see, we have to know that because that's the gospel. Because here's what Paul says. He says, Oh, wretched man, in verse 24... O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now here's the gospel in 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, he says in verse 26, with, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Now, 
Let's talk about the, the, uh, another way that we'll, we'll respond wrongly by just thinking that we're, we're kind of bad. That we struggle a little bit, but we're not that bad. We're not, we're not, we're not wretched. In other words, you know, we'll, here, here's what happens. We begin to use sin and failure as an excuse not to pursue godliness. You see, because I just keep failing and I keep failing. Now, I'm talking about believers. I'm talking to you. We're, remember, to, it is Sunday night, right? Is it? Okay, just checking. Because you got the Sunday morning look on your face. Okay, just checking. It's Sunday night. All right. I'm, I fail all the time. And every time I try, I fail and I try and I fail and I try and I fail and I try and I fail. So what do I do? I just quit trying. And you know what? Here's what happens. See, isn't it convenient that if we just fail enough, we just have an excuse to keep failing? That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. I mean, the gospel is not even that we try, really. The gospel is that we just submit, that we stop trying and we just sort of let God do it and we just get involved in the process. But... You know, we are engaged and involved in sanctification. But, you know, it's like, I mean, let let me give you some practical application here. Practical illustration. How many thousands of times have somebody said, and they, they, they mean it. I mean, I try to read my Bible. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, but it just doesn't work. And when they say that, we know what you mean by that. But what are you saying? What you're saying is, that's why I don't read my Bible anymore. You see? In other words, what we ought to do is say, well, I've tried and I've failed a thousand times. I hope today's not a thousand and one. A thousand and two. I mean, what, where, when do you quit? When does, when does, when does the, the prize become no longer worth fighting for? And it's all about our focus. When our focus gets off of God and on ourselves, we can just fill our mind with excuses and really begin to flaunt our own sin. And when that happens, again, growth stops. It shuts down. Third truth, as we move into Romans chapter 8. The gospel's not that good. It's better. Now, in Romans 8, um, the, Paul begins with, you know, these, these very familiar verses to us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Really, in the Greek, this Romans 8, 1 is this amazing passage of Scripture. That there's no verb there. It's just, therefore now, no condemnation. In other words, it's much stronger than it comes across in the English. It's just, there's none. There is none. It's just the statement. Therefore, now, no condemnation. Why? Because if you're in Christ Jesus, you don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what would you be condemned about? In other words, that's all been taken care of through the gospel. It's not just good news. It's the greatest news ever. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. In other words, you know, how, how, has, how has our past affected our ability to live free? 
See, what, what did we drag into this thing that somehow, you know, what, what, what thing did we do that was so bad in our past that it's now, we bring it into the gospel and it's muddled up the gospel. Somehow it's making the, the wheel of the gospel in our life not really turn smoothly because we've got such, I mean, what is it? I mean, you're, are you an axe murderer? You know, a serial killer, a terrorist. Well, I was, I don't even remember who I was talking to. I think it was yesterday. Probably one of you, yesterday, the day before. Um, I don't even know the context of the conversation. I just remember walking away going, oh yeah, that's, that's a Sunday night right there. And we were talking about something, then somehow we got on the conversation of, uh, terrorists. And, 9-11 and, and uh, you know, the 10th anniversary and all this kind of stuff. And anyway, in the course of the conversation, uh, we were just talking about how horrible, you know, all these, you know, all this is and, and you know, how these these people believe this in this, you know, whole false religion and all this kind of stuff. And as I was walking away, whoever it was I was talking to, I was just making this comment about uh, I would, you know, just hate to, uh, you know, just be there. You know, and, and there's just moments when, when things just, people do things that are so unbelievable. And, and I say, I would just hate to be there. And which I will according to the book of Revelation, but I, I just, to see judgment, to see judgment for people who have taken advantage of the defenseless. You know, I, I read Scripture and how God takes children and, and widows and orphans and how He feels and people who take advantage of, of children and, and the defenseless. And I just think that moment of judgment for them and how not like it's going to be horrible for anyone apart from Christ. But And as I walked away, whoever I was talking to said, unless they get saved. That's it. Unless they get saved. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, here I'm talking about the worst thing I can think of, but if they get saved, it doesn't matter. They're the same as me. In other words, we got to realize that the gospel is... It's, it's, it's too good to be true. It's better than we can comprehend. It never, it never stops giving that every single day when we wake up, we just remind ourselves, wait a minute, I'm saved. God forgives me. He loves me. I mean, no matter what, it's, it's just this amazing truth that we just roll off our lips over and over and over. Listen to what Paul says in verse 3. He says, For what the law could not do, in that I was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. I mean, do you hear that? Where are we? Paul said, God did it. Paul didn't say, well, I mustered up enough goodness in me. This God did it. He condemned sin in the flesh. So where, where do we fit into this? this? This gospel that's too good to be true. In other words, if, if Paul says in 2 Corinthians that He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be the righteousness of Christ in Him. So what do we do? 
He made him. Are we in there? Nope. To be sin for who? For us. What did we do? All, here's all, all we were is us. Our only part was just us. Here we are. He did everything. He made His Son be sin for you, be sin for me, that we might be in Him the righteousness of Christ. The only thing we were was us. That's it. That's the only part we are in the whole gospel is we're just us. We were us. We struggle. We're not bad. We're wicked and wretched. And then he comes along and says, even though you're wicked and wretched, while you were yet a sinner, because you're in us, this unbelievable gospel is going to be true for you and him. And now you just remind yourself of that every day. And you say, now, wait a minute. What, what does this have to do with growing? Here's what it has to do. That so many times people get saved and then they put the gospel in a box and then they start, they think they're going to go live their Christian life. In other words, they approach the gospel as if it is the mechanism that brings about salvation and that's it. No. The gospel is what brings about sanctification every single moment of your life. The gospel is what you can never forget, what you've got to remind yourself of continually. That's how you'll grow. Because if you misinterpret the gospel, then you got a problem. Here's what happens. You say, well, you know, here's the gospel as I understand it. Now, not me. I'm saying other people. Here's how, here's how I understand the gospel. See, I was going along and I was, you know, I was doing bad. And I realized I was doing bad. And so then I began to seek out a solution for the bad that I was doing. And then I found God. And then God fixed all my problems. Now, basically, that's the same thing as saying... I'm rich today because I looked on the internet, picked a stock, invested my money in the stock, it hit the bullseye, and now I'm rich. Now, who's, now, see, the thing about it is, is who's responsible for all of my wealth? Well, sure. I mean, it was some new company called Google nobody ever heard of. I liked the name, so I invested $10 in it. Now I have 80 gazillion dollars. And Google kind of did it, but I was the one that chose the stock. You see, that's not the gospel. See, if you think you're rich tonight because you invested in God, you got a problem. Because here's the problem. That's self-exaltation. That's lifting yourself up and saying somehow the gospel is this good news. I'm so glad that I found God. See, that's good news. But that's not super great, unbelievable news. Super great, unbelievable news is, is that one day, I just walked my poor pitiful self out to the mailbox like any other day because I'm so helpless and clueless and ignorant that I cannot do anything in my own power and strength worth anything. Walked out to my mailbox like any other day, opened the mailbox, reached in, pulled out an envelope, and it was a check from Google for four gazillion dollars. That's good news. See, I didn't do anything. I didn't invest in them. I didn't have any input in it. It just happened to me. Google said, you know what? I like you. 
I'm going to invest in you. Here's a gazillion dollars because we just chose you. We could have chose anyone, but we chose you. So then what am I doing? I'm running around all the time going, you know what the greatest company in the world is? It's Google. Man, don't ever search on anything. It's the greatest company in the world. I got a gazillion dollars for nothing just because they chose me. I love them. You know why people don't want to tell you about Jesus? Why we don't want to go around and wave the banner all over the place? Is because somehow we think we had something to do with it, which makes it not that good. You want me to do this point all over again? Listen, you know what's wrong with Wendy? Wendy, you know, Wendy. Wendy has got issues. I mean, the woman is ate up with Jesus. Now, here's what she said. Did you listen to what she said? She said, I didn't, I had everything. I kind of leaned in when she said that. I was like, she said, I had everything. I had a good job. I had a good husband. I had healthy kids. I mean, we're not, we're not overrunning debt. We're doing good. Good marriage. Everything's going good. Now, see, I know she's just checkmated herself theologically, but I'm just letting her go. Everything's good. She said, then I came to church. And I listened... And I heard that God loves me. And I went home and cried for four hours. To which I want to say, Hey, I thought you had everything. I thought you had it. See, she thought she had it. But then when she found out God loves her, she realized, wait a minute, everything I have is really, it's not that great. That really the greatest thing I could ever know is that God loves me. That's greater than a good marriage. That's greater than healthy kids. That's greater than a house and a car and a job. That's way greater than that. And she figured, wait a minute, God, He loves me? Now, how did she come to that conclusion? What did she say? She said, no, every, I was, she, she said, I mean, I love it. It's like the, 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 the greatest line ever. I was surrounded by Michael Memorial. I mean, they're bombing her at work from every direction. And what's she doing? Nope, 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 nope. I mean, what did she do? Nothing. She just finally brought her girl to the little princess for a day thing. Right? Thinking she's got everything. All of a sudden, there was a check in the mail with this infinite amount of God's love. And everything changes. You see? And when you realize that the gospel's not good, it's unbelievably good. That it's way better than good. Good would be that you stumbled upon something and it changed your life. That's good. Good is that you invested in something and it paid off. That's good. Good is that you, you know, rolled the dice, married her, and she didn't go crazy. That's good. Great is that the most unbelievable thing just 
happened to you and you didn't have anything to do with it. It just happened because He loved you. He chose you. He just is good. That's the gospel. That is so good. So we don't want self-exaltation because it will strangle your growth. It will kill your growth. So the proof. What's the proof of all this? Well, orphanology. So Tony Morita wrote a book uh, called Orphanology. What a great word. It's not a word. He made it up, but it should be a word. I love the word. So the proof is orphanology. And here's what Paul does. This is what Paul chooses to go. I mean, he's... He's the one that the Spirit is leading to write all this. And so he gets into the gospel in Romans 8. And then when he gets down to verse 12, he shifts gears. And suddenly he drives this point home using this issue of adoption. He says, really, that the pathway to change is the realization that our true identity is based in the fact that not only do we struggle... But we struggle big time. Not only is the gospel good, but it's unbelievably good. And then on top of all of that, our identity is, is that we've been adopted. Which is just beyond great. So this is what he says in verse 12. Paul says, therefore, brethren, we're debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For ye did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, or Daddy. Now, there's so much here. Just Can we just... Let's just imagine for a minute. Let's just think about what we know about orphans. Let's just think about what we know about orphanages. Does it strike you as strange that Paul says we did not, that we did not receive uh, a spirit of bondage again to fear? You see, first of all, an orphan, to be an orphan is to be afraid, is to be unsettled, is to be unstable, is to be in a state of continual flux. You don't know where your next meal's coming from. You don't know who your parents are going to be. You don't know how you're going to make it in the future. I mean, there, nothing is settled for an orphan. An orphan no, has no confidence in anything, not their self, not their circumstances, not anything. Not only that, but an orphan as a child does, doesn't have any capacity to even do anything about it. And so you just sort of are just just polarized. I mean, you're, you can't do anything because of everything is just unknown. There's no security at all. And it's a, it's a fearful thing. And God says, you don't have a spirit of bondage again under fear. But instead, you have been adopted by where you can cry out to God, the God of the universe, Daddy. That's your Father. Now, Think about this. If a person were adopted, then prior to adoption, they would have to be orphaned, right? And so to be an orphan would be to be at the very least afraid, at the very least unstable, at the very least unsure. 
But to be an orphan, you don't have a, a, a spiritual parent. You don't, you don't have a father or a mother. Because if you did, you wouldn't be an orphan. So you are left upon this earth sort of on your own. No one to care for you. No one to provide for your needs. But so many times what happens is we try to live our lives vicariously through other people. Parents are notorious for this, especially dads when it comes to sports. Or, you know, these days, moms and and beauty pageants. But anyway, that's just something that, that we're drawn to do. But spiritually, spiritually, we take on the identity as an orphan, as a child, we would automatically understand that we would take on the identity of our adoptive father. You see, that if you were in some orphanage in Moldova and you were adopted by a couple who goes to this church or a lady or a man who goes to this church and what would happen is you would begin to assume their identity. They're your parents. You would live in their house. You would begin to learn the way they live. You'd begin to eat the way they eat. You'd begin to exist the way they exist. Their values would become your values. In other words, over time, you would slowly become more and more like your adoptive parents or not like your adoptive parents. I mean, this isn't rocket science. That every passing year, this orphan's going to become more and more like the one who adopted them. You, ladies and gentlemen, have been adopted by your heavenly Father, the God of the universe. You have been able to come into His family and to be His son or daughter and to begin to assume His identity. That when you get up in the morning, when your feet hit the floor for the very first time, you are Jesus Christ. Christ, brother, God's son, born into his inheritance with all the blessings and benefits that come with everything in the spiritual places. So what on earth is condemning us? What would make us think that, wait a minute, who am I? Where do I fit in? What do I do? How do I, how do I matter? You matter because of who adopted you. I mean, this is an amazing truth. That you and me have an opportunity to live every day And to grow a little bit more like our adoptive Heavenly Father. That's the process of sanctification. I mean, who wouldn't want that? That's why this is so important. That's why this matters. Paul goes on in verse 16, he says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Yet in all things, verse 37, listen, listen to where this ends. In all things, we're more than conquerors to Him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, no height or depth or any other created thing will ever be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's who we are in adoption. That's the opportunity that we have to grow. God says, you're my son, you're my daughter. 
that I reached down and plucked you out of an orphanage and I ushered you into my kingdom. That's your identity. And if you miss that, you're not going to grow. Because let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to take on the form, the identity of whatever you think adopted you. So if you find your security and your comfort in your husband, then you're going to start acting and finding all your comfort and security and safety in him. If it's your wife, if it's your job, whatever it is, that's what you're going to look like. But if it's your Abba Father, then that's what you're going to look like. You see, if you get this, if just tonight, if step one is, I want to grow. Where do I start? Understand who you are. Who you are. Because once you get this, once you understand the gospel, once you understand who you were without the gospel and who you are with the gospel, what the gospel has accomplished in you, then you are strategically positioned to just fire away, to just begin to blossom in God, to just begin to move forward. You see, because think about all... now. See, now that I've talked about adoption, man, you're happy now. Look at your faces. Everybody in here is like, yeah, right on. Okay, so take what you feel right now, and when you read the Word of God, read it with that. Read it. This is my Abba Father writing to me. I'm reading it. Don't give me this. I can't get it. I can't focus. I can't concentrate. What do you mean? It's your daddy. You see, when you understand your identity and you begin to grow, you begin to pray, you begin to... Everything starts working. You're not excusing your sin or hiding your sin. You know you're bad. In fact, you're worse. The gospel's not good. It's beyond my comprehension. I didn't do anything. It was all... You start proclaiming His name. I mean, sanctification just begins to happen. I mean, you're not... It's just happening. Because you have been adopted into His family. That's who you are. That's how you change. That's how you change. So why don't we, why don't we this week, as we've been challenged in our prayer lives as a congregation by the Lord, why don't we this week Pray in the identity of who we are. Pray. You see, don't, don't, don't get caught in this trap. This, this trap that says, you know, I pray, I feel like my, my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Really? Why do you feel like that? Well, because, you know, I've, I've been bad this week. Really? No, you haven't. You've been worse. Well, I, I just, you know, I don't think I've really lived up to the gospel. Well, good, because you haven't. You failed utterly and completely miserable. It's just, you're not even close. But your Heavenly Father adopted you. He loves you. He sent His Son to the slaughter for you.
so that you and me would never doubt that He loves us. I mean, if there's one truth that cannot be taken away from one heart in this room, it is that God loves you. I mean, He has proven that beyond any shadow of a doubt. And so if He loves you, and it can't be because of what you've done, it can't be because of your performance, it can't be because of anything about you other than the fact that He loves you and has put you in His family through the spirit of adoption, then tell me why or how He's not going to hear your prayer. He's going to hear it. And no matter what that voice tries to lie to you in your head, He hears it. And He loves the sound of it. He loves it. Because He loves you. And He delights to do amazing things in your life. So could we just remind ourselves of that every day before we pray? God, I come as your adopted daughter you see, not like, not like my kids. I love my kids. But they didn't pick me. There's a lot of days where they're going, could have done something else, Lord. They just got stuck with me. But if you're adopted, you got chosen. See, there was other kids in the orphanage. But he picked you pick you let's stand father we thank you for your word because lord it teaches us things that are just they're so hard to believe that tonight we we stand here and we we struggle lord we we, we feel so incompetent lord we just feel so unworthy lord god and we, we have a tendency to take our eyes off of you and look at the people around us who are just doing a better job of pretending than we are. And therefore, we think that we're just so, so terrible that how could you love us, Lord? What, how could you hear our prayers? Lord, somehow you... Because you created us, Lord God, because you know everything, because you're just so amazing in every way. You, you give us your word, Lord, to, to make straight the crooked places that you know are going to be there. You see, you already know all the struggles in this room. You gave this word, Lord God, to help each of us tonight to recognize and realize the truth about who we are and the goodness about who you are. And so, Father, I, I just pray that it would come alive in our hearts in such a way, Lord, that we would come boldly before your throne. That we would just... Run through the doors of the orphanage, Lord God, into your loving arms. 
Father, just remember what it was like to stare out that window and to wonder if anyone was ever coming to adopt us, if we were ever going to be okay, if there was ever going to be a moment we'd be safe in a father's arms. And then the day came and you showed up and you rescued us. Lord, forgive us when we still want to go back into the orphanage. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Father, for giving the firstborn over all creation to be slaughtered for the redemption of unworthy people. That we might never doubt, never fear your great love for us. Lord, I pray that we, we this week would walk in the true identity of who we are in you. Lord, for those in this room who just, they're so beat down at work all day long, they're reminded of how incompetent they are. They're persecuted constantly for their faith, Lord. That's your son. That's your daughter. Those people have no bearing on the reality of who they are. Lord, for the young person who just sees everything they try to do as an utter failure, all they hear is that voice in their head that says they're they're stupid or they're just going to fail again or they're unworthy or they can't do it. Lord God, you remind them tonight, Father, that that's your child. That's your child. They've been adopted by you. They don't have anything to fear. Father, for the men and women who we just sometimes struggle, Lord. We struggle in our, our marriages and our relationships with one another, Lord. We just struggle and we, we, we find ourselves so condemned, Lord. God, tonight we just come honestly before you and say, Father, we, we want to we grow in your likeness. We want to be like you, Lord. We want to live in your house and eat at your table. And we sing. We sing that we have a place at your table, but God, we, we want to sit and dine. We want to live as if we're who you say we are and not who we convince ourselves we are. God, tonight, will you just do a work in our hearts? Bring glory to yourself through us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.